What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. I'm stoked today. Why? Because I have one of my absolute favorite guitar players of all time on the show, Carlos Santana. Oh my gosh. Feels pretty freaking good. Carlos is somebody who's had, what, the several decade career impact and legacy talking multi-generations multi-genres not many guitar players can say that not many guitar players have had the cultural or social impact that carlos santana has had huge huge very stoked to have carlos on the show today i'm also stoked because i'm on tour right now i'm actually recording this intro from my tour bus tour has been going great After this week, we have a little break, and then I go back East Coast, Midwest in January. Then I go to Europe in in the spring. I'm pretty stoked about that. I've been getting some emails and questions, though, through this podcast. Some, Some little inquiries, some messages, DMs about rhythm guitar, because that's kind of my expertise. A lot of people are saying, hey, I've got a lot of lesson things for lead guitar, and I feel like I have really good things to practice for lead guitar, but I don't really know how or what to practice for rhythm guitar. So naturally, guess what? I've got a guitar course, and I will show you everything you need to know. So you can check it out. Look up, uh, just Google Corey Wong Guitar Course or go to CoreyWongGuitarCourse.com, whatever, you'll find it. And I feel really good about the lessons. There is stuff for lead guitar players, but mostly it's a rhythm guitar focused guitar course. There's over five hours of lessons and I've had some really great feedback. And there's even a Discord server that you get invited to when you join the course. And I'm in there once in a while answering questions and whatnot. It's pretty fun. Nice little community there. So check it out and come on. Carlos Santana. Let's get to it. This season of Wong Notes podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. If you're not familiar with DistroKid, it's who I use to upload my music and whatnot to the internet. So I put out an album. DistroKid will send it to Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. With other services, sometimes they charge you by the album per year. So like you have five albums out, they'll charge you for each album every year. With DistroKid, it's just one yearly fee. As many albums as your band has, they can be up there. And that's just one cost. I love it as somebody who puts out a lot of music. And if you're in a band or that sort of thing, you can actually pick your team and they'll do splits for your team. So you can choose this person gets 25% of the royalties. This person gets 25%. This person gets 2% because they didn't contribute to the group project or whatever. No, 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 no. You can choose whatever percentage you want for as many collaborators as you want. So it's amazing. Check it out. Distro kid. Let's get to it. Carlos, thank you so much for being here. It is an absolute treat to have such a legend as yourself on the podcast. I am so stoked to have you. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, man. I want to start as a guitar player myself and as somebody who is also a band leader with guitar, but not a vocalist. I'm not really a singer. I play guitar, and I know a lot of other people who are instrumentalists who are, you know, the band leader, music director, but have a lot of other things where it's not just instrumental music. There's occasionally 
vocalists and that sort of thing. What has been the way for you to navigate being a band leader, both live and in the studio, but not always being the lead vocalist on songs? I'm always the lead vocalist on songs. I like where this is going. I like where this is going. Come at me with it. Come at me with it. No, I mean, you know, I can play rhythm guitar. I can play bass and, you know, I dabble on drums a little bit. But if, if a song is going to be on Santana album or a Carlos Santana album, you know, it, it's, I'm going to play lead guitar. And yeah. the lead, lead guitar is like, that's Aretha, Tina Turner, Nina Simone, uh, Eddie James. You know, it's, it's like Miles Davis. It is not, it's not a Miles Davis album if, if Miles Davis doesn't play on it. It's a tribute, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always... For some reason, I always just seem to take center stage. Is there a strategy that you have for your live show with the different singers that you bring out, the different instrumentalists that when they're singing their lead thing and you're interacting with them, how much space you take up, how much space you allow them at kind of the forefront and that sort of thing? Well, usually the song dictates that, not me. Uh, yeah. I, 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 what I know is what I learned from all the records like Lady Soul, Aretha Franklin, and uh, playing with John McLaughlin, I always learn when to play and when not to play and what to play. Mm. John McLaughlin and I learn a lot from Miles Davis. If everybody goes up and down like a staccato, then we go left to right legato. You, you know, you mm. play counter motion, and this way you're going to complement because real musicians never compete or compare. They compliment. That's a real musician when you just you listen with big, big old radar to the cosmos ears, and then you know what uh, to bring to the table with how much emotion, passion, and feeling. You know, because that's, you know, I, was, I had a dream early this year where I was... Uh, doing a, a rehearsal because we haven't played in a year and a half with the band. Mm-hmm. And in my dream, I, I was rehearsing the band and I was saying, no, I don't want to hear notes. I want to hear drops of blood with a lot of feeling. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear chord changes. I want to hear slices of life, big ones, mm. you know? So that's how I relate to music, slices of life and, and blood, not notes. I like that. Within that, you are you're you have an amazing way of interacting with other vocalists, with other instrumentalists, when to weave your lead lines in, when to weave your phrasing in. Now, there's a lot of times where people will reference, hey, can you can you do kind of that Santana thing where you know you play in between the vocal lines and and there's that sort of thing. And I've heard so many examples of it where it's done absolutely beautifully. And I've heard so many examples of it where it feels like uh, I can tell you're you're wanting to do the Santana thing or you're wanting to do the thing where you play in between and do the call and response. Sometimes people get it right. Sometimes people get it wrong. Where do you think it is that people get it wrong and why? They don't have reference. Hmm. You know, like, for example... When I when I have a space of so much so much between the between the singer between his phrase and the next phrase, I have to quantize portfolios, rolodex of uh, 
the way Billie Holiday or or Coltrane or Louis Armstrong or Miles would or Marvin Gaye, you know, because the, what distinguished me from all of the guitar players is that I'm a singer. You know, I don't yeah. practice a lot of chords or a lot of scales. You know, so mm. I don't noodle around with no, no. I'm like. So if I'm going to sing in between the singer's phrases, I'm thinking melody, I'm thinking, I'm thinking emotion, passion, and feeling. Mm. Uh, and, and in a whole variety of Otis Rush or Paco de Lucia or Manitas de Plata or Miles Davis. So uh, I'm not thinking necessarily, you know, I'm just going to like stick a bunch of notes in between the vocalists. I don't think like that. You know, it's, there's a lot of things that goes with it. I started off like most people learning from BB King, but once I got into Gabor Sabo and John McLaughlin, it went totally into, you know, a multidimensional uh, dexterity of expression. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I, I definitely hear that in your playing and so much of I've, the way that I've heard you talk about music, both just in, in other interviews, but also in your masterclass. I enrolled in your masterclass. And oh, thank you. What I love about it and what I love about your music is that I hear that. I hear you talking about, I'm not thinking about scales and chord shapes. I'm thinking about passion, the way the note feels, the way the moment feels, the way the melodic phrase feels. And even almost, I, I can tell sometimes you have a hesitation to say um, the way the melody feels. It's just like the way the moment feels. You know, your your masterclass really does a great job kind of inspiring any musician on any instrument beyond just guitar to understand what it means to be an artist and, a, and beyond just a musician or a guitar player. Well, thank you. You know, one thing that is important for a, a musician aspiring musician to understand is how to make the invisible tangible. Mm. For example, passion, emotion, and feelings, you can't see them, but you can feel them. You know, so, so when people say, well, well, give us some more reference, I go, okay, so I want this all to feel like my first French kiss. Yeah. And like people go, oh, see, now I got your attention, which is the purpose of music. I play music Always, not music to be background music. I, I'm not that kind of guy. I learned from Miles and Albert King and all the great ones that your music is not background music ever. You know, it, it's it, like Miles or you cannot take it or leave it. You just got to take it or turn it off and go read a book or do something else, do the garden. But when you listen to this music, it's not music for background, you know, which means it, it gets your attention and it holds you because it reminds you that you are more than the sum. That's what real musicians do. You know, it reminds you you are significant, meaning, meaningful, and you can make a difference in life. Light, spirit, soul, and the way to do it is through your heart. That's a real musician. Yeah. You know, so many things are coming together as I'm hearing you talk about this, but I I want to focus this in, I want to focus this question in as kind of continuing on what you're talking about. So many musicians are trying to find their signature sound. So many musicians are searching for their voice on the instrument, 
People are searching for their voice as a person. You're somebody who, even non-guitar players can just, they can throw on one of your albums, one of your records, listen to a live show from across a festival, and it's just like, oh, that's Santana. People know your voice within a couple bars, whether it be the phrasing, the tone, literally everything that we're already talking about. I'm curious for you what the journey was like, how you found your voice as a musician, and if there's any advice that you have for young musicians who are trying to find theirs. Well, thank you for that. Everyone's born with authenticity, individuality, uniqueness. Everyone has it. If you want to learn how to discover it, don't think, just feel. Mm -hmm. Don't think. As soon as you start thinking, you know, uh, it's going to sound artificial, superficial, deep as a spoon, you know, and it's going to be what Miles calls unnecessary music, you know? Mm. So I would say to someone, okay, in my class, if I ever go to Berkeley School of Music and they allow me to just teach for 15 minutes, I would say, welcome to my class. Put your phone, I mean, put your uh, uh, watch from zero to, to like you're going to count seconds. When I, when I say go, press it. And then they play, actually, without, without the guitar, give yourself, how many times can you give yourself chills in 30 seconds? And it's all is fair. Think of anything that you want to, just don't tell me. Keep it to yourself. But you must think of something that makes you like a jolt. Like when you, you, you almost like when you die and they want to revive you and you get a jolt. You know, so your hair got to stand up. Think of something that puts tears in your eyes, whether you're laughing or crying. You know, now, if you don't get one in 30 seconds, sell shoes or gasoline or something else. Because if you cannot give yourself chills, then people are not going to receive chills. You got to get it before you can give it. So practice learning how to feel. And once you learn how to feel, you will immediately, automatically have your own signature sound. That is incredible. I'm, I'm, this is a master class right here just for me. I love this. Thank you. I, I love this. So let's say somebody has a hard time doing that, but they are so technically proficient. We, you and I both know these musicians. There are musicians out there that are so technically proficient, and they can play things that will maybe wow uh, an audience or a listener, but it just seems so, in, in some ways, like, like I, I, I am wowed when I watch a 100-meter dash or a 400-meter race, and, you know, there's an incredible race, and it's thrilling in the moment, but I don't think about it a month later. <laughs> but you have, to have a, you, have to have a, you have to have a balance. Like, for example, some of the fastest musicians like Charlie Parker, Coltrane, Wayne Shorter, John McLaughlin, you know, they're fast, but, they have, but it has feeling and emotion. You know, Paganini, Paganini ha- is fast, but there's feeling. It's not dry, intellectual. Yeah. It has, you know, so if you have the combination of uh, being fast, you know, because if, if there's no emotion and feeling and passion, you go like this. <sighs> wow, he's really great, ain't he? You know, and it's like watching a bear riding a motorcycle in the circus. But if you, if somebody has the dexterity of way shorter or Coltrane, or John McLaughlin, or someone who's really fast, like Art Tatum, you know, but with a lot of feeling, hey, guess what? 
God is in the room. Yeah. You collaborate with a lot of people. The, the people you're referencing, you're talking, you know, McLaughlin, Wayne Shorter, Miles. There's been so many people that you've worked with. And then there's people in so many other realms in the pop vein of like in your new album, you have another song with Rob Thomas. You've done, you know, the the hit that you had with Michelle Branch. There's so many songs with great singers and kind of diving more into the pop vein. You seem to be one of the few people in the world who's able to pull off collaborating with Rob Thomas and Miles Davis because you can cover so much. And, and you know, maybe people also don't understand their depth as artists as what they can bring as well. What is it that you look for in a collaborator and what is it that different collaborators draw out of you when you work with them? Well, impeccable integrity is the gateway and the portal to get in there. You know, Miles Davis did my someday my, my prince will come, which came from like a Walt Disney, you know, uh, uh, Snow White movie. And he did Human Nature from Michael Jackson or Time After Time from Cindy Lopner. So Miles was not a snob that he was just a jazz guy, you know? Miles Absolutely. played life. Yeah. I play life. Miles plays life. John McLaughlin plays life. If you're a snob and you only play music, uh, I probably don't have your records in my house. <laughs> play life. So you look for collaborators who bring out different aspects of you and your life. I always participate in a collaboration with someone who I can feel their impeccable integrity. Yeah. If I don't feel that, I'm not even going to show up. I'll just say, thank you for inviting me. You know, it might be very lucrative or it might be this or that. But that's not, you know, with all respect to you. And I, I won't even say it like that. I'll just say, my plate is full. You know, I'm sorry. I got I to gotta be with my sure. family or whatever. So I'll, I'll get out of it, you know. If I, if I don't feel the, the, the impeccable integrity or the need to, to uh, I have to grow. Uh, you know, if I can learn from uh, Lauren Hill, which I did, or, or whoever, you know, or Bob Dylan, of course, you know, because for me, the whole thing is about, learning to grow and expand, extend, ascend, transcend. Wow. And one note, and one note. I love that. You talk about growing and immediately where I go to and where I think, and when you're talking about all these different collaborators and when I'm, when I'm thinking through what you've done in your career, I think back to, there's so many decades of Santana and as Carlos Santana, there are different decades of what your music sounded like the notes that were played, the kind of harmonic structures, but it still has that same visceral feeling like you're talking about. I, I still get that same visceral response when I listen to a, a Santana album, like the, the new album you just put out, which is incredible. And when I listen to Supernatural, when I listen to everything from the 60s and 70s, 80s, where for you do you feel like you made the most growth as an artist, and how do you keep giving out that who, who you are and your passion? How do you keep that for so many decades? It's a thirst for adventure. It's a passion to dive into the unknown and unpredictability. When people tell me that it says in the Bible that, that nothing's new under the sun, I go, well, I'm going to, that part, that page is going to be ripped off out of the Bible. I'm not going to read that ever again. Because someone who says that there's nothing new under the sun obviously didn't know God or eternity. Because 
Once you dive into, see, the best solo that you can take ever is outside of time and gravity, and that's eternity. And that's where God hangs out. And it's always fresh and new. So somebody who says that there's nothing new under the sun, um, I don't think Jesus would have said that, or God would have said that, or anybody with some kind of spiritual uh, wisdom would have said that. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible, in the Constitution, that needs to be upgraded, you know, quite frankly. Quite frankly, you know, because real musicians, whether like, I'll give you an example of total totality. You know, if you take Mona Lisa out of the Louvre in, in, in Paris and you take it to any museum in the world for, for a tour, there will be people line up around the block to go see her. Mm-hmm. Huh? Okay. That's Miles Davis kind of blue. Yeah. Mona Lisa. You know, that's Sgt. Peppers, that's, you know, Bob Dylan. Everybody has their own Mona Lisa. You know, John Coltrane, I love Supreme. You know, One Love, Bob Marley. I know the songs, Blowing in the Wind, Bob Dylan, you know. Uh, What's going on, Marvin Gaye? Everyone has their Mona Lisa outside of time and gravity. And which means a masterpiece, a masterpiece, a masterpiece of joy, you know. And that's what real musicians that I know wake up in the morning to dive into, and not necessarily because you're lusting for immortality, but because it's like a child that needs to discover with their own purity and innocence something crazy and wild. Mm. It's important to balance purity and innocence with something crazy and wild. And so that's how I look at music, man. Like, like something deliciously dangerous, but not destructive, creative. That's great. What do you feel is your Mona Lisa? I'm still working at it. <laughs> I like that answer. All right, all right. At the beginning of the episode, you heard me talking about Distro Kid. I'm going to mention him again because it's worth it to me. I really think that if you are an artist, you should have an easy and comfortable way to upload your music and get it distributed to all the streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube Music, blah, 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 all that stuff. You should have a way to do that. DistroKid makes it really easy. And also, they don't take a percentage. They do not take a percentage of your royalties. That's amazing. All they do is charge a yearly fee. I love it. I use it. If you're making your own music and want to put it out there in the world, I would suggest using DistroKid. That's that. Easy as that. Let's get back to the interview. There's a lot of jam fans who are really into Santana. There's a lot of people who just like who who like jazz that are Santana fans. A lot of people who like pop music that are Santana fans. It's interesting that you're one of the few artists, again, who could probably, you ask a different group of people, they're all going to say a different answer for what Santana's Mona Lisa is. For some people, it might be Europa. For some people, it might be Smooth. For some people, it might be Black Magic Woman. For some people, it might be your set at Woodstock. You know, like they might just say a specific show or something, you know, and like like the way that a lot of jam fans will chase a certain set list or chase a certain song live. Some people chase a certain recording that's captured in the studio I love that you're saying that your Mona Lisa is yet to be painted. And um, I think that already in itself probably answers the question of what keeps you going. 
Well, yeah, you know, um, having the grace, because I don't call it fortune or luck or anything like that, the grace uh, to be at the right time, at the right place with Jerry Garcia, you know, and, and I jammed with Trey Anastasio. And I know bands who, they never, they don't even have a set list. They just show up and play. And when they improvise, yeah. you know, they have, you have three or four guitar players that kind of play like Jerry Garcia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's the modem operandum. If you want to kind of come into, uh, any, any version of the Grateful Dead scamp, you know, you have to, yeah. you have to have an arsenal portfolio Rolodex of Jerry Garcia's ocean. When they invite me, I don't play none of that. You know, I play Sandra or Miles Davis or African drums. And that's why when they see me, they go, whoa, that was different. Well, yeah, that's why Jerry Garcia loved me because I'm not, you know, Jerry's not going to invite me to come and play Jerry Garcia with Jerry Garcia. Yeah. And same thing with B.B. King, you know. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful that when I do get invited, they know that they're going to get a portfolio, Rolodex, whether it's Ravi Shankar, Ali Apar Khan, Derek Trox, or John McLaughlin, or Paco de Lucia, or B.B. King, or Peter Green. They don't know what they're going to get because I don't know what I'm going to get in that moment. Mm. It might just be three notes from Miles. Yeah. Da, do, da. And make the last note go from here to eternity and back. Da, do, da. And when I stop playing it, they still hear it and feel it. And that's why they invite me because they're like, wow, because see, everybody's going, and you just like three notes, like long meter. And they go like, and they say this, Santana, when you play, you touch me in a place I've never been touched before. Wow. That's quite a compliment. Thank you. How did you do that? And I go, I have no idea. That to me feels like, from an artist's perspective, feeling like you really accomplished something. You know, a lot of people ask, for, for those of us that are artists who have had any level of success, you know, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does success mean to us? What does it mean to us now? Like, you know, those of us that are accomplished guitar players or bands or whatever, you sell out a certain size room, you sell a certain amount of albums. To me, exactly what you just described is the thing that seems to be the universal, in the end, that's kind of what what defines success as an artist. Success for me, before the Grammys ever, ever gave me a Grammy, which was like almost like 30 to 50 years. Uh, but my success validation was that my phone was always ringing and it was either Miles or Pharaoh Sanders or Stevie Ray or Jaco Pastores, Eric Clapton. Everybody would call me and say, hey man, how you doing? What you're into? That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's my validation. So if I never got a Grammy, I'm okay because Pharaoh Sanders is calling me, you know, and anybody that I love is calling me, Kenny Burrell or whoever, you know, and I'm just, they know that I love them and I know that they love me. So when they call me, specifically, they want to know how I'm doing and what I'm into. That's worth like 1,000 Grammys for me. Yeah. Was that to you, like that sort of thing is when, when people come to you for your advice on something, 
Is that to you where you feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm like living out my calling. I'm living out my thing. I feel like I'm doing something right. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that they call me for advice, but they just want to know reference, you know, mm. my finger in the pause. What am I, what am I listening to right now? Sandra, which Sandra? Searchlight Blues, John Gilmore. And people are like, oh. And so when they listen to it, they go, oh, I can see why you were listening to that because that's the music that people play in an, ins- an insane asylum when they're free from thinking what anybody thinks. You know, you, you're like, bam, this is the tempo. Bam. Bam. That's the tempo. <laughs> yeah. Bam. You know, and people who play there, they can play gazillion times triple the tempo fast, like Tony Williams left foot, you know, on the hi-hat or John McLaughlin, you know, uh, tearing it up. So I learned since, since I can remember that the value of one note is really, really important. What do you mean the value of one note? Well, yeah, in one note, then you're supposed to uh, touch eternity. Yeah. It's not in passing. If you play in passing, um, you know, what can I tell you? It's, it's, it's not going to be as good. It's, you, you're, when you listen to it back, you're not going to be in love with it. You got to be in love with what you play from a spiritual point of view, not from an ego point of view. You talked about references and and what, what ha- having an idea of, on the pulse of things. We that could go in in a lot of different directions. But I'm curious. I want to I want to bring up a few different things and just get your opinion on the pulse of the role of the guitar in modern day music. Actually, I just want to start there. I just want to hear what you have to say about that. What do, how do you feel about the role of the guitar where it is today in music? The electric guitar is probably like one of the most incredible inventions from Nikola Tesla. <laughs> he invented the remote control. Thank God. Yeah. Because I can just delete and, and turn off somebody who I don't like on TV, you know? <laughs> and so... He had incredible inventions. I went to the Tesla Museum in Serbia. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's same amazing. thing in Buffalo, New York, ne- next to Niagara Falls. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the role of the guitar in modern music is like, you can make a guitar sound like a symphony, a naked woman in bed that's thirsty for you. Uh, you can make it sound like clouds, Jimi Hendrix probably the most accomplished big big canvas musician I ever heard in person. Mm. I have never heard anyone like Jimi Hendrix use feedback to actually paint colors like Mother Nature, Aurora Borealis, and universe and nebulas and omniverses. You know, to me, Jimi Hendrix is like the ultimate artist, along with John Coltrane, that played music beyond superlatives. Mm. Just listen to Jimi Hendrix play um, 
Are you are you experienced live at the at the Winterland? Just the feedback alone, it sounds like yeah. ten thousand motorcycles, motorcycle gangs, <laughs> and then you you know you hear Vietnam, you hear everything, and and then you hear a comet going. You know, I mean, I have never heard anybody be and create on the spot at that volume because he played loud. I mean, he played so loud your T-shirt was moving, you know, from the air, from the yeah. speakers, you know? But it was creative loud. It wasn't destructive loud. It wasn't noise. Yeah. It was just big canvas blues. Same thing with Stevie Ray Vaughan. I seen Stevie Ray Vaughan go there where Jimmy used to go uh, painting canvases like the Grand Canyon and beyond in one note. Mm. And I was like, Damn. Yeah, it's incredible the way that the guitar can can be used to really move a person. You you talked about you 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 touched something there, Vietnam, which which kind of leads me into my next question. I asked about the role of guitar in modern day music. My next one is the role of music in society, the role of music in culture. You've seen so much You've been at the forefront of so many potent musical moments that helped shape certain types and forms of culture in certain societies, uh, whether it be Woodstock or uh, just so many different events around the world, so many musical festivals or, or, or things that are in support of something that has happened around the world. I'm curious how you feel the, that music can best be used with the pulse of today's culture and society. The music that I know changes the destiny of people. You know, Bob Dylan single-handedly changed the Beatles, their destiny, forever. When Bob Dylan showed up with a fro at Albert Hall, the Beatles were never the same. <laughs> you know, the next thing you know, it's like, Michelle, yeah. my bill. They started singing like Bob Dylan, you know? And, and they went from, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went from all of that to like, holy shit, man. This is the guy that is Jimi Hendrix, number one. Uh, Jimi Hendrix loved and adored Bob Dylan. Listen to All Along the Watchtower, which is probably the Mona Lisa of Jimi Hendrix, you know? So I look for musicians who will change your destiny if you really just sit down and listen to it, you know, Miles Davis, Coltrane, Bob Marley, you know, Django Reinhardt, you know, and, and, and you can do a whole show on mother guys, mother effing guys who will change your destiny if you sit down and listen to it. Why? Because they will pull you out out of your dull, D-U-L-L, dull drum existence. They'll help you open the cage and let the hamster out mm. and discover uh, there's, there's, there's a difference between self-deception and self-discovery. Real musicians will invite you into self-discovery and you will not be afraid to just dive into the unknown and unpredictability. Uh, that's great. What do you think society needs from musicians right now? What do you think it needs from musicians to, to change the course of destiny for good? I mean, and and I don't mean for good as in like forever. I mean, for good as in like for the good of all. 
I love that question. Very profound and very meaningful. And it comes back to the third dimension. Third dimension is very predictable, boring, cute, clever, deep as a spoon, shallow, hollow, freakingly predictable, empathetically annoying. Third dimension. I call it monkey and donkey mentality dimension. And then you have the fourth and the fifth dimension, which is like archangels, you know, which is like Nikola Tesla, Stravinsky, uh, Stravinsky and Da Vinci, you know, uh, R. Tatum, Parker, Charlie Parker, Coltrane, Wayne, you know, uh, you can, I can hear one note who's a fifth dimensional or fourth dimensional or three dimensional, mm. you know? So if we teach people how to listen like that, we will change forever the third dimension and people will, will uh, what you just said is exactly the passport for the future, for the highest good of all with impeccable integrity. That gets rid of, gets rid of patriotism and nations and governments and religion all that stuff that is corrupt corporations. And you get into, for the highest good of all, which is like you and I being higher than an astronaut's butt up there in space, you know, looking at this planet and go, oh, I can see why Sandra and Coltrane and Miles, they play like that, like bitches brew, because they're up here, you know? And to get there, ayahuasca, peyote, mescaline, LSD. And hopefully under supervision so you don't hurt yourself. But if you want, you know, I can tell you who plays like that. I mean, Jimmy immediately played like that. The Beatles immediately played that, uh, like that. Bob Dylan, you know. I can tell you who, who, who's taken it and who's never taken it. There's fifth dimension, fourth dimension, and third dimension. Where do you feel that you, you which dimension do you feel like you're operating under? Probably between fourth and fifth. Do you feel like you were always there or do you feel like it took you a while to get there? It took me a while to get there. Um, I had to learn to surrender mm. constantly and tell my ego to shut up and go stand on the corner and don't talk until I ask you to. So I'll meditate mm. for a long time and just look at the candle until I get rid of all the parakeets and all the crows and all the voices that... They want to tell me with an attitude of arrogance how to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, shh. Because the, the more you dive into silence, then you hear John McLaughlin beat my goals beyond. Huh? Start hearing peace, peace, Bill Evans. You know, you start hearing certain compositions like he's Jared doing, um, it's all in the game or over the rainbow. I heard Sandra play over the rainbow and it was way over the rainbow, <laughs> but it was fantastic. Yeah. You know? So, and, and Juilliard school of music, they should have a course that teach, they teach people how to play outside of gravity and outside of time. Hmm. But say, if you don't do that, you're less than halfway there. You mentioned McLaughlin. You got a lot of history with him. I interviewed him uh, previously on this season. Incredible musician, incredible wisdom. The the two of you both speak about music and where it comes from in a similar way. I'm curious. You talked about ego, 
And naturally, the way that a lot of guitar players work with other guitar players is that there is kind of this ego kind of like proving themselves a little bit of a contest. But with you and John, there seems to be such a natural understanding and respect for each other's playing and for each other as humans and what you're trying to say as an artist. Uh, What I'm wondering is, was that connection natural with John and... Is there any situations where it wasn't that at first and you did butt heads with somebody, but then eventually it fell in line of a symbiotic musical relationship? Well, thank you for asking that. With John and I, we never butted heads because I understood that he understood what R. Blakey Mm. talks about straight from the creator through us for you. R. Blakey, you know, Mm. that's the same way. Coltrane plays, Bill Evans plays, Wayne plays, straight from the creator, and you look up through me for you. you know? And so we know how to uh, put the ego on a leash so that he don't get in the way. He doesn't become a distraction. You know? So the only thing we need from the ego is just the energy, the positive energy. Mm. Not the not the intrusion or, or imposition. You know, ego has a tendency to to impose a lot. And spirit, with spirit, is an invitation, not an imposition. I like that you said that ego has uh, positive things to bring to the table, though, because I I totally agree with that. I think that the ego has value when it's, I guess, when you're the way that you're saying it is put on a leash, but when it's when it's in check or whatever like to me i think that you know as a as a as a frontman for myself as a frontman and for you as a, a band leader as well for many artists who are you know out front having to command the room in a live show having to command the attention having to be magnetic in the moment there is a certain level of ego that must or confidence, I, I, I guess those are different things. We could toe the line there. There's a certain level of ego that needs to be involved, but I'm wondering what the healthy amount of... So obviously, we're, we're trying to approach that spirit thing. I love how you're, you're separating the spirit and the ego. The spirit is something that we, we use to invite, but the ego also in some way needs to be there, I guess for some of us, to, to kind of have that, that self-positive and that that confidence that we need, where for you is the right amount of ego? Not at all. Mm. The best ego is when uh, it surrenders totally. Like, for example, one more time, ego is like a cork floating in the ocean, screaming, I must control you. So the only thing mm. that ego can do for me is to get out of my way. You know, there's nothing positive or good or essential or anything from the ego, because ego is not your amigo. Ego only has one agenda, <laughs> and it's to throw you in a misery ditch and make you feel like shit and apologize a lot for all the people you hurt. Yeah, but so ego is a certain kind of like an energy that needs to be monitored. Needs to be my favorite word. Ego constantly needs to be crystallized and and made to remember that the best of you is when you're not in the way. So, so I, I don't feel anything 
positive from the ego other than just surrender. That's what John and I learned from Sri Chinmoy. That's why the path was called love, devotion, and surrender. And that's the best music you can play from Wayne or Art Blakey or Miles or everybody. When you surrender your ego and it goes through you to creation and people go, damn, how did you play that? And you go, I have no idea. If you remember, your <laughs> ego thought that it was playing it. But if you don't remember, because you can't remember it because it's beyond your comprehension or understanding. Ego doesn't understand absoluteness. It runs away from it. Ego is like, look what I can do. Oh, aren't I great? Oh, my God. It's like a tiny little <laughs> thing that wants to be bigger than Mount Everest, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'll just be compassionate. Mm. But don't come over here trying to tell me, you know, the, you're, the, you're the wherewithal. You know, no, 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 no. You go over there, sit down. And I'm, when I need you, as far as I need energy, I would just utilize your energy, but not your imposition. So again, you know, uh, that's something you can teach in, in, in a musical class, how to crystallize your ego to be better serve light, spirit, soul, and heart. Thank you so much for being with us, Carlos. Thank you so much for this interview, man. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot. Hey, my joy. Stay precious and, and uh, keep playing because we need your light. Thank you, Carlos. That means a lot. Take care, man. Peace. There you have it. Santana, how, 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 how am I going to beat this season? Do I just quit making the podcast at this point? Am I good? Like, have I have I fulfilled my duties? You know what, though? I like doing the podcast. It's not it's not an obligation. I'm going to keep doing the podcast no matter what. And there's going to be people that are super famous like Matheny and Santana. And there's going to be people that are going to be future legends that people 30 years from now are going to be talking about. So... That's how I'm going to do it. I like doing this podcast because it's fun for me. And there's lots of questions that I have because I am a curious person. Anyway, thanks. Peace.